Well, all right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you in worship. I confess I was in the back worshiping, wasn't singing out loud, and all of a sudden Matt was praying, and I go, oh, I'm next. <laughs> so I was pulling off the mask and getting my, my microphone ready, but uh, gosh, it's, it's good to be with you. When Mark and I, um, we have the, the great privilege of, of um, as pastors, of being able to officiate weddings. Uh, and so one of the things that he and I both do, I learned this from him, uh, when we are meeting with a couple and we've gotten past the pleasantries and how are you doing, one, one of the things, our first question that we will ask is this. Tell us how you fell in love with one another. Tell us about how you knew that he was the one or she was the one. Uh, what are the qualities that you most admire uh, that make your, you know, your heart go pitter-patter? As the couple sit in our office, what, what they're doing as they tell their story is that they are remembering what I would like to call their, their origin story, kind of where it all began, why they are asking Mark or myself to lead them in a covenant where they pledge to love, honor, and cherish one another until death do us part. Children love to hear the stories of the day that they were born. They can't remember that story. Obviously, they, they were there, but because of the way the brain works, they, they don't remember what that day was like. Children love to hear about the day that they were born when mom or dad cradled that young child in their arms. They love to hear the stories uh, that they don't even have conscious memory of, of the time when you sat up with them when they had a fever or you took them to their first day of preschool because it grounds them in a, a place and a memory of their, of their beginnings, their origin, and hopefully a place where they were wanted and they were loved and they were nurtured and they were cared for. Um, I have recently um, found a new cooking show that, that I have just fallen in love with. Um, some of you might laugh because I really don't cook very much, but I'll just watch it. Um, her name is Brenda Gant. Some of y'all might know who she is, but she she is a new Facebook phenomenon, and uh, I don't know how old she is, but she's a grandmother in, in Alabama that uh, actually filmed herself just making homemade biscuits uh, at the beginning of COVID uh, for some of the young young millennials in my church that just don't know how to cook and they're home alone, they're you know home because of this COVID thing, and I go teach them how to cook, and the next thing you know, she's got millions of followers. Um, I was I think the reason that I love watching her cooking show is because it reminds me of my grandmother and some of the, the recipes and some of the, the food uh, that I ate in my grandmother's home. And it, and it roots and it grounds me uh, in a place where I was known and where I was loved, my origin story, if you will. I have a good friend who has started a nonprofit maybe over a decade ago, and uh, in this nonprofit, they raise money for children with cancer. They've raised millions and millions and millions of dollars. But if you go to their website, if you attend any of their events as they do their new employee orientation, they always go back to their origin story. And it began this way, and this is my friend, and she was a, a young mom, and, uh, and her son. Uh, had a had a, a kid that he played with in a neighbor there in the in the in the cul-de-sac 
and, and the child came down with cancer and passed away. And so my friend said that if she took a casserole over to her friend's home, she said, I want to do so much more than bring you a casserole. What can I do? What can I do? And she said her friend looked at her and said, find a cure for childhood cancer. That's what you can do. And that was their origin story of how and why they do what they do as a nonprofit. I think so often our stories, I heard someone say that we are story-shaped creatures. As human beings, we are story-shaped creatures. Our stories communicate our values. Our stories, when we tell our stories collectively and, and in community and in families and in organizations, it shows us why we exist. It makes me, it gives us meaning to why we do what we do together. Uh, it helps us understand our culture, our values, what we believe in it. It makes us feel connected and warm with those that are in our, our, whether it's our marriage, our family, our church, our nation, or our, our business, or our school. When God chose to reveal who he was to humanity, he used a story. He used a story, and, and that's what we have right here is, is our Bible. It is a collection of historical stories that have been woven together with a thread of love to show us who God is and how we relate to him, but also how our story fits into the bigger story of God. One of the things that I think about the power of story is that, in, you know, we can read about and someone can say, you know, God is powerful. God is powerful. My question is, how do I, how do I know that God is powerful? Well, let me tell you a story about the day that Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, and there was a horrible storm, and he said, peace, be still, and the, and the weather and the winds and nature obeyed him. But how do you know God is powerful? Let me tell you a story about a time when Jesus rose a man named Lazarus, brought him back from the dead. How do you know that God is powerful over the demonic? Let me tell you a story about a time when Jesus cast a legion of demons out of a man. Let me tell you a story. When my husband was in the hospital with COVID and I was scared and many people prayed and God heard our prayers. God is a faithful and a powerful God and we experience that. How do I know that God is a loving and a forgiving God? Look at Jesus when he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In this sermon series, we are going to be digging into uh, some of the stories about the life of Jesus as told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these stories help us to, to navigate our, our own tension that we often feel in our lives, times when we are lonely. When we are feeling disconnected, times when we are feeling uh, shame, times when we are feeling fear, times when we are feeling unlovable, unwanted.
unwanted, unneeded, without purpose. Times when we need a firm foundation to hold on to because it feels like the whole world is chaotic. Where do we go? We go to the stories of Jesus and his love, but we also tell those stories in community because it's not just the stories that are on the pages here. It's the story that you tell me about when God was faithful and God showed up on your behalf and I gained strength from your experience and my experience and my story and your story and the Martha Bowman story is woven into God's big overarching story. Today we are looking at a section of scripture that comes from, uh, it's from Luke, and if you've got your bulletins there, um, I'm going to be referring to this in just a moment here, but but Luke is the master storyteller. Um, Luke is the one that he, um, he interviewed eyewitnesses, people who had walked with Jesus, these earliest accounts, he, he gathered these up into a very big story, if you will. In fact, it was such a big story that they had to break it up into two different books. Uh, we know it as the Gospel of Luke and also as the book of Acts. And, and the reason, I mean, it was a simple reason that these two books are, are two books. Well, that's how we have them in our New Testament. is because they didn't have paper the way we have paper, but they wrote their stories on papyrus. And the papyrus roll couldn't contain all the words. And so they conveniently, he separated it into two books. But it's the story of how Jesus came and fulfilled the covenant that God had made with his people back in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant promise. And now how the, the earliest disciples and believers then begin to express that and to, and to live into that new covenant. And of course, we are a part of their story. But what we're looking at today is... I want us to, we're going to kind of do a high level, um, you know, we're not going to dig into a lot of depth here because I want to kind of get kind of an overview of a section of scripture that I think helps us as, as people here at Martha Bowman in, in 2021 in the craziness of our world, um, helps us understand our origin story and what that means and kind of how that impacts how we do what it is that God has called us to do together. So our first passage there, if I can have this up on the screen, you don't have this one in your bulletin, but it's in Luke 4, 16 through 20. And it's speaking of Jesus, and it says when he came, and this is in the beginning of his ministry, to set it in context, uh, he has been, uh, he's been in the wilderness, he's been tempted by Satan, uh, he has been baptized, and he is now coming down. This is his first, first act of ministry, if you will. And it says he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, and he went to the synagogue. He gets the scroll and he begins to read from the prophet Isaiah. The significance of this cannot be underscored enough that what the words that he is about to read were, were penned over 700 years earlier. And this is what it says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released 
priest. Uh, he's kind of making a reference to a, uh, an Old Testament uh, policy, if you will, that after uh, the year of Jubilee was after a period of time that if you were indebted to someone that those debts would be released. If someone had owned, had purchased your family property, that would be released. If you were in prison, it was this year of Jubilee that the captives would be released, the blind will see, and the oppressed would be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor was upon us. He rolls up the scrolls, he sits down, and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. Now Luke, the master storyteller here, he what does he do with this? What does it mean uh, that the good news is preached? What does it mean that the captives are released? What does it mean that the blind shall see? What does it mean that the Lord's favor has come? Well, what does Luke do? He tells us stories. So if you begin to read, there are these multiple accounts that Luke does, one right after the other. And so often in church, um, and, and this is okay, I understand this, in devotionals, and we, we look at these stories in isolation. We pull out the one story, and we spend a whole time talking about that, that we're together. But I want us to kind of look at these stories, because I believe they're building. And what Luke is doing, he is, he is showing us what he has just told us. The first thing that we see is that Jesus is there in the synagogue, and there is a man who is demon-possessed. Now, let's just think about that just for a moment. A man who is demon-possessed, but yet he's come to the synagogue. Jesus rebukes Satan out of him, showing his power over the demonic, showing his ability to proclaim release to one who had been captivated by, by and, and held in bondage to Satan's grip. We see that he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She has a fever. And he shows that he has power over sickness and disease. One of the things that's interesting to note is that when Jesus reached out to heal someone, he, never say, he, he didn't say, Father, you know, would you heal this person? He touched them, and healing power went out from him, showing that he was a, the triune God, if you will. Sometimes the Trinity it's hard to wrap our minds around. But here we have God in the flesh touching someone who was sick and their disease leaves. We see another person who is demon-possessed, and Jesus cast out the demons with a word. We see that Peter, James, and John were out fishing in their family business, had caught nothing, and Jesus said, cast your net on the other side, and, and they pull up this miraculous catch. And basically he says, that's not a big deal for me. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This shows us that God is able to take care of us financially. He is the great provider. He heals a man with leprosy, a person because of a skin disease who is cast out from, from normal society relations. I mean, I think about what's interesting here is that now with COVID, you know, y'all are sitting there with masks on. I've got my mask back there. It's like in the past, in the days of Jesus, if you had an infectious disease, you know, you were an outcast. But now in the midst of COVID, we, we view everyone as a possible threat or someone who could endanger our health and well-being. But Jesus stepped right into that and healed 
the man with leprosy so that he could be a part of the community of faith. There was a paralyzed man, and his friends brought him and dropped him down. You know, that's the story where they dig up the roof and they drop him down, and, they, and he heals him. But he says, what's harder, what's harder, to heal him or for, to forgive sins? And, and he forgives this man of his sins, showing that Jesus has the power to forgive and set us free from the bondage of, of sin and guilt and shame, that we can be cleansed and washed. He, he gives... The, the calling of Levi, Levi, an outcast, someone who is outside of the circle, someone who is shunned because of his social status. And then in Luke, he, he ends this section of scripture this way, and this is what you have in your bulletins. He, he, well, he, and he calls his disciples, he calls the 12 together. And this is so, this is so, so interesting. He says, when they came down from the mountain, so it's after all these things have happened, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. And there were people from all over Judea, Jerusalem. Um, they were as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So, so what he's saying here is basically the whole area, from the south to the north, to the area where the Gentiles live, to the, the seat of power in Jerusalem, everywhere. And he said they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. What was Jesus doing here? This is, this is the church's, if you will, origin story. Um, I mean, we've got the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes down and, and you know, the way Jesus is risen from the dead. But let's go back to this story. Why did Jesus tell it this way? Why did Luke craft it this way? Here's what I think. When you are a community, uh, like for us, we're, we're a church sitting right here. We have ways of being in community together. Prior to COVID, what this looked like is on Sunday mornings, we gathered. These seats were full. We, we really didn't, you know, do a lot of, we had an online presence, but, but it wasn't significant. Uh, we had Bible studies. We had Sunday schools. We had small groups. We would go out and do mission, mission projects together. We had rhythms and ways of being together. We knew what to do. We knew what it looked like. There were these structures, if you will. In the Old Testament, Prior to Jesus, they had a way of being together in community. And what it looked like was they would go to the temple. They would offer sacrifices. They would go to the yearly feast. They, they had ways and structures and patterns and ways of doing community and life together. It was very clear who's in, who's out. What Jesus was doing here was he was creating a new structure a new way of being together, a new rhythm of how we do this life together. And it was rooted and it was grounded in setting the captives free, of bringing good news to the poor. And the poor were not just those who were financially poor, but those who were social outcasts, those who were considered outside the circle, to, to open the eyes so that people could see who God is, to those who feel oppressed, to say God's favor has come upon you. This is our rhythm. This is our, you know, with COVID, 
it's all been it's all been disrupted and sometimes there is this question of what what do i do what does it mean for us to be in community together what does that look like Jesus, he comes off the mountain. He, he, uh, he appoints his 12 disciples. And then it says there are many out there who were gathered. These were people who were hungry. They weren't the religious elite. You know, in our, in our modern day, we might say, you know, it's the, it's the mom who's struggling with trying to juggle uh, homeschooling and having a career. And, and my husband and I, it's, it's not pretty at home right now. It's the person who has said goodbye or saying goodbye to a loved one but can't go into the hospital. It's the person who's lost their job because of, of COVID or, or all the things. It's like the people in your world, in my world, who are, are feeling that they uh, need to be set free. They are feeling oppressed. They are struggling. Jesus would call us to do community in a, in a new way but the, the calling is the same no matter what our new structure in this you know, weird COVID time looks like. We still communicate the good news. We still tell our stories. We still pray for others. We still reach out. We gather in, whether it's a virtual Bible study or whether it's uh, an in-person, it looks different. In the middle of this uh, passage here, or this section of scripture, Jesus gives an analogy. Because the Pharisees are like, why are, you, why, are you, why are you doing all these things? You know, they're kind of being critical of him. And, and he gives this analogy that um, I don't completely understand it because I don't make wine. I asked somebody who makes wine, and they said, I don't know what Jesus was saying. I don't exactly know. But, but this is what he said. But he said, he said, you know, when you have old wine, you put it in an old wine skin. And he said, but when you have new wine, you put it in a new wine skin, because if you put the new wine in the old, it'll, it'll bust the structures open. Does that make sense? And so what he was saying was here, I'm doing a new thing, and it's going to look different. But just like God's purpose back in the Garden of Eden, our, our original origin story was to show love to humanity, to create a community, a family, a people who would love him, who would love others. He, he's saying it's looking different these days. And he said, but the purpose, the reason of who we are, why we gather, why we do what we do, that hasn't changed one bit whatsoever. During this sermon series, we are going to be uh, talking about the stories of Jesus, but we're also talking about your stories, uh, the ways that God has been at work in your life, how we are doing life together in a new way in the midst of COVID. And I wanted to just invite you, um, if I could have the picture of Tristan up there. This is the story of one of our iKids. And what, if you haven't seen this Facebook post, let me encourage you to go to the Martha Bowman website. But here is what, uh, what Tristan wrote. And, and I want to just tell you, the gospel is exactly it. I mean, he, to me, articulates what Luke was trying to articulate some 2,000 years ago. He said, I like iKids because we do fun activities and games about Jesus. 
Jesus is at the core and the center of, of why he comes to our kids, of why he gathers, doing fun things, learning about Jesus. He said, I like to spend time with friends and worship God because he understands that, yes, we worship God privately, but we also worship God together as a community, as a family. And he says, and I also like to volunteer as an acolyte. And for those of you who aren't familiar with our traditional services. This is the, the person who brings the, the light in, the, the flame in, and then you light the, the candles on the altar. So he's found a place to serve and to give and to be in ministry, even as an elementary-aged kid. COVID has made it, it look different, but here's what I do know is that the essentials of, of gathering Finding community, being with your friends, encouraging one another, uh, finding a place to worship, uh, finding a place to serve and to give to others, to go out in the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Those things are a part of who we are, why we exist, and what we do. Last week, uh, Mark and I were at the beach, and we were able to watch the service online. And I, and I am grateful for our online presence, and I know that, you know, for health reasons, this is the right choice. But I was so distracted uh, in that condo. Our, our, our granddaughter came in. She crawled over me. I had to get up and do something. Then I couldn't get the computer still out enough. And I was so incredibly distracted. The difference is today, when I was in this room with you, I got so caught up in the worship, and the Holy Spirit so brought me into the presence of God that I was back in the room, and I forgot that it was my time to preach. There's something that is so powerful about God's grace in bringing us together. As Tristan said, I like to spend time with my friends. I like to worship God. I like to play fun games and activities about Jesus, and I also like to volunteer. He so articulates what Luke would encourage us to do as we live out the good news of Jesus Christ.